Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Winder, and thanks for tuning in to another podcast of Beyond Everything Radio. And as always, I have a question for you. What exactly is the Word of God? Preachers tell us it's a really old book. But how could it have been such a book to the authors who wrote it? In today's podcast and post, we continue our series, Psalms Greatest Hits, with a look at Beth, which is the second letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and also the title of the next eight verses of Psalm 119. Join me now as we slow down and learn that the Word of God is not a cosmic rule book, but the gift of seeing, which must be perceived and practiced within each moment if it is to be applied for our freedom. Hello, everybody, and thanks so much for coming back. I'm so glad that you do. (laughs) My name is Kevin Winder, and I am your host for Beyond Everything Radio, and I'm super glad to have you here. I like to serve the world as an online pastor, author, and uncoach, among many other things that I do. And so I'd like to welcome you, whether you are a first-time listener, tuner-inner, uh, or somebody who's been with me for a long time. There's a number of you who uh, keep coming back, and I, I believe that's because you're finding something here that isn't really found in a lot of other places. It's, it's not the only place, but it's, it's one of a few for sure where we are helping people who actually can discern the difference between coming to understand God and spirituality and separating it from religion and kind of doctrine and tribal uh, belief. Um, there's, uh, there's just a deeper reality. And one of the ways we do that is in all these teachings and series on the Bible, which I enjoy and love to do. I give it free of charge. Um, and we are in a series, which we've been in for more than a couple of years, And we're examining now my very favorite psalm. The series is called Psalms Greatest Hits. And this is the 119th psalm. And obviously this is a psalm far too big to cover in one recording. So about every 10 weeks we come back and we we slow down, we hit the pause button, we reflect, we, we read the psalms, we consider what they're saying. And so today, this is what I'm going to do for you As we look at Beth, uh, which is the second letter here in the Hebrew alphabet, as I said in the introduction, Um, and we're going to just really reflect on some of this, okay? So I want you to be present, um, be here now, give yourself to this process, and see what emerges, see what you perceive. Sound good? Let's jump in. This is podcast number 419, and it's 119, Beth. Now, when I read the 119th Psalm, as I said, it's my favorite Psalm. And when I sit down to read it, I can hardly stand it. Um, And as long as I can remember going back to about age 12, I can remember reading this psalm always produced a form of spiritual earthquake inside me where the epicenter of something happening 
it was at the deepest, most pure, most real part of myself, of my being. There's something about the words of this book, for me personally, that go to the deepest place that I have ever been privileged to understand about myself. And I don't know if it's that experience for you. You might get triggered by some of the words when you read it. But that experience kind of opens up what I'm hoping to reflect upon today. Before I really knew anything about spiritual experiences, and before I had any kind of theological grid, I didn't grow up in a church. Um, all of these things were happening inside me. I, I didn't have any place to put these words into a framework of understanding. I, I simply was reading it and they were reading me, hitting me deep. And I have experienced this complete sense of ultimate reality. Like it alters how I saw myself. It altered how I saw the world. It was a proximity and a communion with the divine through these words. That is this reoccurring experience that has happened every time I open the pages of scripture and ex ex especially this chapter, Psalm 119. That experience is not a derived, forced manipulation on my part. It is something that truly happens. And I can tell you that this experiential knowledge has completely eliminated any doubt of God's existence in my life. It has produced this insatiable hunger and thirst inside of me from the time of my youth for God's word. I can remember being asked when I was 13, we had to go around in class, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I took my Bible out of my pocket because I kept it in my pocket. <laughs> I know. And I said, I want to know this and teach it. I want to be a preacher, a Bible teacher. And of course, everybody thought I was a weirdo um, because that's extremely uncommon for a 13-year-old. But this book opened something it's kind of like those magical fictional stories where you open the magic book and the dragon comes out you know um it isn't make-believe for me this is a fully present experience it's like having the deepest yearning of your life completely satisfied so that no matter what comes in your life it can't be better than what you've already had. It's this existential pain that has completely vanished 
in a cosmic kind of clarity. It's a seeing, it's a knowing, it's an experiencing that so transforms your life, that so alters um, the way that you go about things and see things that like it, I, I mean, I'm trying to use these words to describe the experience. And this particular chapter of Psalm 119 is one of those portals that gets me there. And I'm curious to find out from you if it does the same. Now, I've had a pastor friend that used to read the Bible at the same cadence that I did. And we would get to Psalm 119 day and we'd text each other and I'd say simply, are you weeping? Because I knew he read it too. And that's his experience as well. And it's not from these words. It's not from the book. The book didn't even exist when the author was writing it. So this, that book isn't the word of God. The book reveals the word of God. And it's in and through and beyond the book. And so my soul was aligning with the author of this psalm and everything in life kind of faded to the backdrop. And that's my hope for you. I hope that you will listen to this and say, I have to go check this out. Well, you might check it out and discover that it doesn't do what it does to me for you. It might actually do the opposite. It might annoy you. It might trigger you. You might look at it and say, this thing has 173 verses. It's going to take me 20 minutes to read. I don't know if I want to read it. I don't know if I can endure all of this repetition because every verse contains something about God's word, God's commandment, God's statute, God's rules. And so from a framework of fundamentalism, that doesn't sound fun because you're probably abused by your religious leader with religious rules. Many of you in my audience have left fundamentalism or are trying to or are know deep down that it's not a healthy place, but you don't know how to be free for you fear that God will leave you if you leave your delivery system. But this part that he says, with my whole heart, I seek you. I, it, it's like a reverberation deep in my soul. Now, I know that in this world, I'm weird. I, I, I'm not like most, even among pastors and Bible teachers. I'm weird. I'm marginalized. I'm fringe. And so if you're here and you're listening and you're this far in, you might be aligning in that place. God might be saying, here's a voice that you can consider. It's because I can say there is nothing in this life that I desire more than this experience. The tears that emerge as I kind of wince through the stanzas here reflect a beauty I just keep discovering over and over in every single molecule of the universe. This word 
emerges everywhere. It's not in the book. It's beyond the book. It's in the leaf of every tree. It's on the tiniest insect that you can barely perceive. It's in the animals. It's in the cloud. It's, it's beyond it all. The, the creation is the first Bible, as Richard Rohr would say. It's, it's the first revelation of God in the sense that if God is this creator God and you look at the world, you know something about the creator. And I feel as if I don't live in this sacred place as I ought. I feel like if I don't come back to this place, this centering existential satisfaction of being, then I don't even live at all. It's like if I'm missing it, if I'm skimming over life, not pausing like we do in this podcast to go deep, to unearth what's there, to challenge the assumptions in our thinking, in our hearts, that to, to let that, that resistance become overcome. Like, get over it. Figure it out. On the other side is the you who's been pleading with you to come out and be real. It's my prayer that I can serve as your concierge and point you to the you that's two minutes past temptation. Point you to the you on the other side of this pain that it erupts, the anger, the hostility, the, the confusion, the doubt, the what is all this? this? I'm getting nervous. I'm getting shaky. Yes, because you're getting close. So hear these words, and I'm going to read them. And like all, chap- all chapters of this chapter, or each one represents the letter of the alphabet, and each one has eight verses, and each verse has something to say about God's word. And here it is. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. And with my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Even as I read it now, like it's like a bell ringing. It's a resonance. It's flow. It's dynamic. It's an experience. Um, it, it's overcoming. It's like I'm so close to purity and joy. But is that your experience? When I read that word, how can a young person keep his or her way pure? And I think about it in the context of our world. 
purity is all but lost in our deceived world. Even among believers, even among the religious, the, there's very little es- essence on purity. One scan of our music, like if you go to Vivo on your Apple TV and you listen to the new music coming out, any person with the slightest amount of decency will feel violated and disgusted. A music that we have in our culture is increasingly emerging from the poverty of the hood or the holler or the barrio. It doesn't matter what race it comes from. It's at the bottom of the economic food chain, so to speak. And it's glorifying the poverty of the culture, which is totally fine in one sense because it's representing the pain and reality that's there, but but it brings with it this poverty of soul. It's where pain is transmitted to the masses who identify with this pain. It's where purity of heart has been marginalized and trampled generations ago. There is no young woman or man trying to keep his way pure in any of this. And I can't imagine that these words have ever washed over the heart that is so injured and confused. Have, like The words of this passage cannot possibly resonate with somebody who listens, enjoys, and produces this kind of content. I don't suppose there is room in such a soul to store the word of this psalm amidst all the trappings and idols that have taken hold in our culture's inner being. And as a result, the modern soul has no will nor reason to guard their way in purity. It sees these rules as a cosmic killjoy and not the loving guardrail which prevent tragedy. Our world opens its arms and runs longingly into the pit. With my whole heart, I seek you. This psalm is a portal through which we see the perfect eternal world. In the right configuration, we see reality as he is. His structure, his testimonies, precepts, ways, statues, and the eternal word which has existed from the beginning. Han Harxis, he ho logos, in John 1 1. In the beginning was the word. Like in beginning of before anything was, the word was. In the Hebrew scripture, in Proverbs 8, 5 through 8 and 9, it talks about wisdom, this Sophia, this knowledge was with God in all things when everything was being made. This is the word. That's where the true treasure is. It's not in the book itself. The book opens the channel by revealing the artistry of the heart, our inner self in proximity to the artist. And so the reason the Bible is unpalatable to so many is because 
the artistry is far from the artist or thinks it is far from the artist. It is not. That I might not sin against you. Another great line. The deep word is the source from which sacred text blooms. It's, it's conveyed in and through and around and beyond the pages and finds its way in our darkness. And it's treasured. It provides a graced form of protection and light. It reveals new perspectives which invite alternative decisions. It's like whatever you're thinking of doing, rethink it. Like, <laughs> that's what it does. It allows for a course alteration. It's a navigation system. It allows for our sin to not overcome us. It doesn't make you a sinless person. It, it, you will always be a sinner. You will always be overcome by sin at some point. There will always be besetting sins that, that force you to your knees. But there's something about the word that holds it in the right tension. It keeps it in the right context. And the more we learn and discover, the more we desire this, the more we need it. And the function of this spiritual seeing allows us to see who we truly are, hidden in God. And it's worth more than any pursuit in life. Like getting to that is what you think you're getting when you add all those titles to the back of your business card or you add all the things to that great zip code you live in. But all the stuff and all the application of the external is not what you're really seeking. What you hope to find is, is in here. It's this. It's this word revealing yourself and finding yourself, your true self in God where you've always been. And as we discover how our sin keeps us stuck in these superficial layers, it keeps us in our pretense, our, our pseudonym and fake ID, we become hungry for this word. As you discover it, it overwrites the malware scripts that are within you and me that frees us from a life of perpetual offense to such goodness. Another verse in here which is so profound to me, which has transformed my own spiritual practice. I will meditate on your precepts. Now, I know there's different forms of meditation, Eastern meditation and uh, Christian contemplation, which I'm all about. But sitting in through this process, meditating on your precepts is not just giving over to your figure outer. It's a being with the frameworks of reality. It's forgiving reality to, for being what it is, so to speak. It's realizing nothing is missing. Um, it's coming to the place where you can receive each moment as it is without judging it without saying it's good or bad. You're just in it, living it, being with it, being taught by it, receiving it. It's, a, it's an experience that is trained. It's a diligent application of, of life and figuring 
things out and and being with it like this is the practice the word is found in the meditation and the meditation is found in the word and the two create a flow a, a waveform that we join this power and beauty is found in silence it's found in stillness and contemplation when was the last time you sat in the dark in the stillness and in the quiet and, and, and how long can you actually sit still you know, when I first started this, I couldn't sit still very long. One, my mind was so active. All I could think about was all the things I needed to go do. But the impulse of my body to just get up and take action could hardly allow me to sit still. I couldn't be calm. And folks, a person who can't be still and can't be calm and enjoy this moment and be with this moment will never ever arrive at any of their life goals because as soon as you were to get there you'd have no skill to enjoy it and you'll be on to the next thing and you'll live a whole life chasing forever an illusion as we begin seeing and seeing begets perception our perception begets vision and vision illuminates the way that we must go the path we must follow like when when it starts to unfold you can't unsee it and once you see the reality this kingdom that Jesus was always talking about once you gain spiritual sight it's not unlike a superpower in that you can just read people you can figure things out so clearly so it's so obvious to you and you wonder why it's not as obvious to others it doesn't make you better it doesn't make you um, somehow more worthy what it actually does is it allows you to see yourself in others and see what the word does in transformation because you realize I couldn't see this had those words not washed over me it brings humility and it makes me at least want to go and just touch all of the hurting places with love and redirect people's lives and and touch them wherever they are and so I find myself doing that in the strangest of contexts, but that's the context of life. And I know that this remains unknown to the darkened world, but it becomes clear as day to the soul who delights in abiding in and with this moment in the Word. And so, folks, may we never forget. May our life practice be to apprehend this authentic life-giving manna every day of our life later in this psalm it says the words of the wise are like goads they're like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings they are given by one shepherd 
And so, folks, that is the word of God. It's the voice of the shepherd, the one who loves you, the one who loves me, who wants to guide you to still waters, the one that wants to guide you to green pastures. Can we find it a moment, just a moment, to sit with these words and let the words read us? If we do, I think we'll be saying this brief prayer. Thank you, Good Shepherd, for the gift of your word, which is the gift of yourself and the gift of finding ourselves within you. God bless you as you contemplate these things.